Greetings, friends, and welcome back to yet another session of the Encouraging Word. Stephen and Paul with you here uh, on a beautiful, sunshiny day here in Rocky River, wherever you're listening from. Uh, we're excited to have you join in with us as we continue on in our series about uh, world beliefs, world religions, and we are, I would say, what, four weeks into this? I should, should have thought that through. Yeah, four weeks, sound about right? And we're uh, close to wrapping up. Uh, we got another week or so in us, and, and then we'll transition into something new. But this has uh, truly been an enlightening journey. Uh, I guess I can only speak for myself, and, and I believe as much for Stephen. And uh, we hope that you've learned a lot and uh, been inspired by our uh, deep delving into into world religions and and just uh, getting kind of a, a cursory understanding uh, understanding of, of some of these uh, belief systems that folks around the world and and uh, as we go into today's segment in, in particular, uh, people maybe in our own our own backyard um, ha- happen to believe and, and have as their religious faith. Uh, probably not in our own backyard. I don't have anybody living in my backyard. I wonder where that <laughs> phrase came from. You ever think about that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. But people in, in our own towns and, and communities um, might have these these faith systems. Uh, but before we, we get into that, uh, just a, a quick um, uh, just a reminder that as Stephen and I do this, we, we want to make sure we're intentional every week about um, clarifying that, that this is a... a an uh, investigative (laughs) discovery uh, uh, series in in which we're trying to get to know and and familiarize ourselves with these uh, faith systems, but we are by no means experts. We've relied heavily on other resources as we've done our our research, and and we're trying to essentially um, just uh, squeeze the sponge into our own brains and and then pass on uh, the juice to you directly from what we're we're, uh, learning and and, uh, how we're growing in these areas. So um, know that uh, we're not experts, but we hope you, you learn something from what we've learned in, in our investigation. And, and uh, by no means are we intending in anything that we say or imply uh, to, to uh, put down or to offend folks who, who may have these uh, faith systems. Um, we, we believe everybody is, is God's child and, and um, God has uh, infinite love for each of us, unconditional love and a desire to be in relationship with us. And, and though uh, we may perceive that we're on different journeys in, in life and adhere to different faith systems and, and uh, in, in our case, uh, you know, are, are in a position where we happen to believe that um, we are on the right path and, uh, you know, are, are willing to acknowledge that unapologetically, but at the same time, you love and respect those around you and are ready to have the conversation with them. And that's what our hope is, uh, that we're preparing ourselves to be able to do so when that time arrives. Uh, so with all that said, we have a, a segment that we introduced. Um, we're probably three or four weeks into this as well, as we uh, introduced a new segment just to kind of lighten the, the mood and and uh, draw you in before we go deep diving into the material. And, and it's our uh, FIT segment. Stephen, you want to lead us into that? Remind us what the, uh, the FIT stands for, maybe. Yeah. So um, one of our new... Uh, the things we're doing on the podcast is fit, so it's funny, interesting, and thought-provoking. Um, so this is just kind of a way to break up um, the podcast to keep us so that we're not listening to Paul for that long. We 
<laughs> Thanks for that. I was, right, yeah, break right. up the monotony, right? Because right? yeah. we're really no, selling ourselves. No, we love listening to Paul. He's got a great voice. But <laughs> um, so fit section is just um, funny, interesting, thought-provoking. Something over the week that either Paul and I encountered. You know, it's funny, thought-provoking, or interesting. And hey, we even even encourage people who are listening to think of that. And your during your day, what's something funny, thought-provoking, or interesting? That has happened to you. Um, you can always send those to Paul on email, pbennett at rrumc.org. Um, so, uh, my thought pro- or funny, thought provoking or interesting thing is uh, man, I'll say this before I get to that is that you, um, luckily, no one can see me on video because I am exhausted and I'm hoping to stay awake through this whole thing. So I got the vaccine. So I got both vaccines now, both vaccinated. Yeah, I'm experiencing some fatigue. Um, so Paul may be waking me up, knocking on the table or something. <laughs> yeah, All if right. you hear that noise or <laughs> right. if you hear somebody you know, startled in, in the background, it's because I'm waking right. Stephen right. back right. up. So like yeah, a, fair warning. A big boom. It's either my head just hit the ground because I fell asleep or Paul is slamming his Bible. But our, our content's going to be so riveting right. that there's just no chance, Stephen, yeah. you're going to drop off. I promise you. You just got such a great voice. It puts me to... No, it doesn't... <laughs> puts me to... <laughs> how are you going to finish that sentence? <laughs> Your voice is so great, it keeps me awake. All right. Uh, yeah, my fit section is... Um, I was watching a YouTube video, which I do a lot. And I like to watch science and nature and some sports stuff and camera stuff, <coughs> photography stuff. Anyways, I saw a nature video and it talked about these the relationship, unique relationship between lions and baboons that um, came about in a certain part, in a certain area of the ri- this river in Africa. Um, and it's, it's very unique, the relationship that these uh, lions and baboons have. So what's unique about it is that typically a lion, first a lion typically hunts the baboons in this area, but in this area the lion isn't hunting the baboons. Um, What's also interesting too is that the baboons serve as like a warning for other animals. So when the lions are coming close, typically the baboons make noises and it alerts all the other animals um, to get get out of the way and to hide or to be more aware. So typically the baboons are kind of like giving off signals and sounds and, and, and climbing up the trees and all the animals realize that, oh man, a lion must be close. But these specific baboons um, in this um, part of Africa, uh, they don't alert the animals. <laughs> Matter of fact, they kind of help the lions out and they kind of uh um when the lions are going hunting they don't say anything they don't climb up the trees they just kind of sit there and and they go about their business and all the other animals like oh wow there must be not be any lions around so then they go up to the water hole and they just think oh the baboons are really the baboons don't see anything so they go to the water hole and start drinking and that's when um, the lion jumps out Mm -hmm. and attacks the um, typically, typically the gazelles, um, and so the baboons are not giving the warning that they typically give the lions, or they're not giving the warning typically give the animals. So I thought that was an interesting um, relationship between the baboons and lions. So, um, 
do you remember Stephen when we did that series on animals in the Bible? And I remember discussing how the vision of uh, the end times uh, uh, included this notion that the lion and and yeah. the lamb and, and other creatures, you got scorpions in there, yeah. and you know, will all be <laughs> at, at peace and yeah. kind of all be on the same side. Do you think? Do you think this is a sign? Uh. No, I think it's more of the baboons portray or um, siding with the enemy. <laughs> oh, so we have so we the have lions. Some. The lions aren't like not eating. The lions are getting food from the gazelles because the baboons are kind of jerks and not telling the other animals like, "Hey, there's a hungry lion nearby." They're kind of like, "No, oh, whatever." So just some renegade baboons <laughs> right, sort of yeah, changing renegade. the entire circle of <laughs> life, uh, so to yeah. speak, to borrow a term from right. the Lion King, right? Oh, right. Wow. Of course, use the Lion King. Of course, uh, so, you know, any way possible. I'll set you up for that one. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's an interesting relationship that those yeah. lions and baboons have. I know there was a term, you know, way back in probably middle school when you learn about animals or creatures that have these uh, interdependent relationships. Right. I don't remember what it is, but Similar. like how there's birds that, that live on the back of water buffaloes so they Dead can bugs, eat the yeah. bugs <laughs> that the yeah. buffaloes are drawn into. So maybe right. this is just a new a new example of that, yeah. you know, uh, coming into being in the world. Yeah today but uh we'll we'll leave it at that and we don't need to take <laughs> any deeper into that uh so so for my fit this uh, week on mother's day on on um of course yours is going to be all sweet and mother's day like and mine's lions eating lions eating, yes yeah, well you know i i just try to uh try to balance you out steven <laughs> right, as much right. as i possibly can but uh we we spent um part of mother's day at the art museum and uh, one of the, the things that we saw, there's a lot of um, religious content in the art museum, of course, because the, uh, for, for many, many years, the world was uh, very um, tied into Christianity and uh, governments and, and societies were, were very much rooted in uh, biblical uh, beliefs and, and biblical history and such. And uh, one of the items that was uh, displayed in the art museum was, I, I had to look it up and I think this is accurate, uh, we'll call it a, a reliquary. Uh, a marble reliquary, it's, which is uh, essentially a box that holds relics. And it said on the label, you know, because they provide you the, the background information that this, uh, that this was very similar to other reliquaries that were found that held, um, held religious icons or, or relics of uh, John the Baptist. And that very similar boxes had been found that held um, bones from the body of John the Baptist. And I looked up an article when I got home, and, and they did. They found these uh, these other one in particular reliquary that held a uh, a knuckle bone, um, a, a a tooth, a part of a skull, a rib, and an ulna, which is a, a bone from the forearm that uh, tradition attributes to John the Baptist. It was found on this island, huh. I think, on, in, in the Black Sea um, off of Bulgaria. And uh, they did the carbon dating, I think it's called, and, and they were able to date it back to the middle of the first century A.D. when John the Baptist would have um, been alive in, in the time of Christ. And, of course, there's no way to, to you know, conclusively link it to John the Baptist, but if the... Uh, 
the history of it and the um, the documents that were found, I think, around it or the, the inscription um, on this and other boxes and, and things in the church in which it was found indicate that. Just a, another interesting piece of biblical archaeology, I guess it would be, and how uh, this stuff is real history. And, um, you know, even to this day, we're still finding this was 2010 that they discovered this. So we're mm -hmm. still finding these things that uh, bring the Bible to life for us. Oh, that's yeah, that's really good. I think that really, yeah, it really brings it to life. Just for your next sermon, see if you can borrow those bones and you can um, bring it up, use it as a sermon illustration. You think uh, I could? Yeah, <laughs> these are John the Baptist bones, and that'd be a good, good illustration. Right, it would. We can start to assemble them, and <laughs> <laughs> it's it'd be like the story from uh, Elijah where. Right. The bones uh, come back to life right. and, and flesh on them, and yeah. and the Lord breathes life into them. We could bring John the Baptist, resurrect yeah. him, right here in Rocky <laughs> River United Methodist Church. Let's start with some chicken bones first, and then we'll... Well, then we'll funny you should say that. In that same box, there was actually bones from, I think it was a cow and a dog and something else. Uh, the thought was that there just yeah. wasn't enough of John's bones to make it look impressive, so they threw some other bones in the mix, too. Wow. But, uh, yeah, we should probably test it out on a chicken or something yeah. first, too. But I think we've officially derailed. So I'll pull this back in here. We're, we're uh, going to cover um, two particular belief systems today that are uh, not at all uncommon here in the United States of America. And um, the, the term, and, and I understand that this is a, a weighted term, carries a lot of baggage, and, and some uh, may agree or disagree with its application in this, in this case, but uh, the term that would often be applied to these two belief systems is cult. It's like a, a, a cult that is akin to Christianity in some ways, but differs in, in ways that are significant enough um, that uh, they certainly are their own uh, separate entities, their own uh, distinct re uh, belief systems. So the two that we're going to cover today are uh, Jehovah's Witnesses and uh, Mormons. And we decided to, I believe, cover uh, Mormonism first. So I'm going to go into a bit of the, the history of how this uh, faith evolved and uh, got to the point where it is today. Then we'll let Stephen chime in with some specifics about it. Um, so, you know, you may have encountered at some point in your life uh, somebody who identifies as, as Mormon or a member of uh, the, the official title, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or the LDS Church. All of these mean the same thing. Mormonism, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and LDS Church. Um, and 16.5 million members is uh, what is indicated at, at most recent uh, count. And uh, Mormonism began back in 1830, and it was uh, developed by a gentleman by the name of Joseph Smith in western New York. And uh, Smith at the time wanted to establish uh, a new Jerusalem, he called it a new Jerusalem or a Zion, uh, here in the United States of America. And uh, he, he believed, based on some revelations that he claimed to receive uh, directly from God, um, that, that Jesus himself had visited the United States of America and that God had a, a special plan for uh, the, the folks of, of our nation and uh, he was going to lead uh, uh, Americans into that realization. So uh, he started this, this new community and um, in fact 
in western New York is, is where it has its roots, but it, it moved, uh, he moved his community shortly thereafter to Kirtland, Ohio, um, which is, is actually uh, just east of Cleveland. And uh, just a few years ago, I can't remember the, the context, but I uh, took a, a visit out to Kirtland, Ohio, where some of the old uh, buildings and, and location of this community where it was once housed uh, still exist and, and it's still um, run as a historic uh, historical site for Mormons to this day. Um, but Kirtland, Ohio is, is where they uh, settled down and uh, they thrived in Kirtland and, and the community grew and uh, did very well until 1838, uh, so about seven years later when there was a huge financial scandal and it, it shook the community and, and uh, the community began to d dissolve and many people left. So Joseph Smith at that time regrouped with his uh, community that he was trying to build in Missouri. He tried to settle a, a new community there, relocate there. Um, however, based on their beliefs, uh, the, the Missouri governor at the time uh, labeled them as insurrectionists and, and had them driven from the state. So first we're in, in New York, then we're in Ohio, and then the Missouri, and uh, we're being driven out of Missouri. And the, the new community to be established next would be in uh, a place called, uh, I'm going to attempt a pronunciation here, Nauvoo, Illinois. Nauvoo, Illinois, in uh, what was essentially a converted swampland. So Joseph Smith took his followers to this new location, and they settled in there in Illinois. And uh, over the course of the next several decades, uh, missionaries were sent out as far as Europe. Uh, they began to create converts by uh, publicizing their beliefs. And uh, new, new converts and new believers flocked to this area of Illinois, and the community continued to grow. And during the years that they were settled in, in Illinois, uh, several beliefs and, and practices developed amongst the people as led by Joseph Smith. One was uh, something that um, Mormons are, are very much identified with in, in their history anyhow, and that is polygamy, the idea of, of having multiple uh, marriage partners. And the other was this notion uh, Joseph Smith supported that uh, humans, if they're righteous enough, could actually ascend uh, to become divine themselves. Humans could become gods. And um, he, uh, he brought these two notions into his community. Um, and, and at the same time, he completely revealed to them at this point the first vision that he claimed to have received at the age of 14 uh, from God that uh, comprised his, his belief system. And, and all of these notions were born out of. Uh, so amongst his people, Joseph Smith was revered as a, a modern-day prophet. Uh, his, his vision that he claimed to have received was viewed by his followers as the most important event in Christianity. They identified themselves as Christians uh, since the crucifixion of Jesus. Uh, so there was a, a lot of growth and a lot of momentum uh, amongst the early Mormons. However, in 1844, um, just a, a few years later, Smith and his brother, who was expected to be his successor in the movement, uh, were killed by a mob. So all of a sudden we are, are leaderless and a crisis broke out of who would succeed um, Joseph Smith. And uh, some folks uh, just uh, broke off at that point and started their own uh, separate um, uh, denominations or, or groups within the church that uh, would eventually still identify their roots uh, with the LDS church, but kind of be, became their own identity, their own uh, entities. 
But at the time, in searching for a leader, it, it ended up that uh, Brigham Young, who was a close associate of Smith, and uh, you're, I'm sure, familiar with the name and, and association with uh, Brigham Young University, if nothing else, uh, he ended up taking over leadership of the community. So over the course of time then, as Young uh, led them, uh, additional conflicts arose within the community and with surrounding areas and, and, and um, uh, uh, folks that lived in, in local communities nearby. Um, Young ultimately had to move the community again, and uh, it was at this time that they located themselves in the territory of Utah. And uh, another thing that we often associate uh, members of the LDS Church with is, is being very populous in uh, Utah and uh, Salt Lake City area. And this is when that happened uh, under the leadership of Brigham Young, moved to Utah. They established the community there where Young uh, declared himself both the religious and, and the civic uh, governmental leader, had a tremendous amount of power. Um, they continued to grow their uh, polygamous um, ideals and, and expand those. And uh, based, on, uh, based on these ideas, in, in addition to just some general um, unrest with, with surrounding folks, a lot of tension developed and ultimately it led to war. In, in 1857 and 58, uh, it was identified as the Utah-Mormon War. And uh, the U.S. Army actually had to uh, come in and, and uh, address the situation because there was so much unrest, and, and Brigham Young and his followers were uh, creating quite a, uh, quite a, a lot of um, frustration and, and tension in the area. And so they came in, they reclaimed the, the territory, basically uh, forcibly took it back from the Mormons and, uh, and, and dethroned Brigham Young as the governmental leader in the area, allowed him to continue to lead the church, but uh, um, started to get more proactive in, in preventing the LDS church from uh, really taking over that society in that area with some of their more extreme beliefs. Uh, so at this point, um, they're starting to settle in. They're, they're beginning to make some adjustments. It, it took really another uh, 30 years or so for the uh, tension around the polygamy ideas to uh, to hit their peak, and uh, even some disputes with Congress, and Congress had to uh, seize the assets and disincorporate the church, and, and the LDS church eventually backed off of their uh, beliefs in, in polygamy and ultimately outlawed it. Um, but eventually the, the church settled into uh, Utah and uh, began, of course, spreading and, and sending missionaries out and um, insert, asserting their influence even in, in political matter, matters into the, the 20th century um, based off of their uh, moral and ethical views about things. And uh, they began to develop into the entity that we understand them to be today. So uh, a few quick um nuggets that uh, we've covered now and, and got you up to speed with the history and I'm going to let Stephen take us into a little bit more about their beliefs and then we'll uh, come back with more when he's done. What do you got for us, Stephen? Yes, so um, yeah, so we're going to look at some of the major differences between the Mormon beliefs um, and the traditional Christian <laughs> beliefs. Um, what's kind of what's interesting here, as Paul mentioned, is that um, Mormons or the Latter-day Saints which they prefer to be called um, it is considered they consider themselves Christians um, so they consider themselves to be part of the Christian church um, but there are some major differences that contradict or go against 
um, some of the grounding or bedrock truths of the faith. So first we're going to look at the writings of Mormonism. There's the Book of Mormon, um, there's the Doctrine and Covenants, and then there's the Pearl of Great Price. Um, they do use the Bible, but the King James ver Version only, and they only use it for specific verses and translations. Really, the Book of Mormon is perhaps the book that they hold most highly. Um, the Bible the Bible is kind of seen as less reliable and authoritative of teachings. Um, and um, they consider the Book of Mormon um, more, um, probably in a higher degree than the scripture. How they view God, God the Father, this is their view of God. God the Father was once a man, but progressed to Godhood. Sorry, he has a physical body as does his wife, which is Heavenly Mother. Um, so there's no Trinity. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all three separate gods. Um, worthy members um, may become one day exalted into Godhood themselves. So basically, the, the belief is that you could become a God too, just like God the Father started off um, as flesh and bone and not as um, eternal. Jesus is separate is a separate God from the Father. He was created uh, as... Um, so Jesus is also... Let me get a look at Jesus. Jesus is separate from God the Father. He was created as a spirit child by the Father and Mother in Heaven and is the elder brother of all men and spirit beings, including Lucifer. His body was created through... <laughs> His body was created through, and this is what they believe. And some Mormons hold, as we said before, this is a general um, belief. Um, you might have Mormon um, sects and Mormon people who have different, slightly different views in this. Um, but his body, Jesus' body, was created through a sexual union between Elohim and Mary, and Jesus was married. They also believe Jesus was married. They believe his death was... Um, his death on the cross does not provide full atonement for all sins, but it does provide everyone with resurrection. Um, their view of the Holy Spirit is different from the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit is not God, but a influence or elect, kind of like a force um, emanating from God. Um, their view of salvation, they have a salvation by grace, but um, they have a resurrection by grace, but saved by works. Um, including faithfulness to church leaders, Mormon baptism, tithing, um, ordination, marriage, um, secret temple rituals, and no eternal life without Mormon membership. So you must have Mormon membership. Their view of death, um, eventually near, nearly everyone is going to be um, go to one of the three heavenly kingdoms, um, which some um, which some can achieve, one of the three heavenly kingdoms. And those kingdoms are um, the Celestial Kingdom, and I might pronounce these wrong. Celestial Kingdom, the Terrestrial Kingdom, and the Telosol Kingdom. So these three kingdoms are dependent on one's level of faithfulness. Um, so belief in Christ or even in God does not necessarily obtain immorality in one of these three kingdoms. And therefore, all must be spiritually. Um, so their belief is that one of these three kingdoms represents kind of how faithful you were on earth. So the highest kingdom is the celestial kingdom. 
Um, and this is this is something they get straight from the Book of Mormon. Um, and then finally, other beliefs. Um, the secret there's a secret temple, um, and, um, with rituals or siestal marriages available only to members in good standing. Baptism on the behalf of the dead. Um, words of wisdom prohibits they're prohibited from ta um, tobacco, alcohol, and caffeine drinks. Two-year missionary commitment is encouraged. Um, tithing is essential in door-to-door prophesizing. Um, extensive social network, and this also the people, people of African and and Andresty, not pronounce it. People of African descent um, denied were denied full access to Mormon priesthood and privilege privileges until 1960 or 1978. Um, so those are just a kind of some of their beliefs. Also, another one is that they're more. I mean, I would say they're polyistic in their beliefs. Mormons believe that the Trinity consists of not three persons and one God, but rather three distinct gods. According to Mormonism, there, <clears throat> there, there are potentially many thousands of gods besides these. Um, and then also what I would think what's important to point out too, um, another slight difference is that Mormons believe Adam, in the beginning with Adam and Eve, Adam's transgression was a noble act that made it possible for humans to become mortal, a necessary step um, to the path of being exalted into godhood. So looking at those many, many different things, you can see already um, on the very surface that the Mormons differ greatly from many of the traditional Christian beliefs. And this is why many Christians do not consider the Mormons to be Christians at all. Um, and when you, what's interesting too is like if you go to a Mormon website, or you speak to a Mormon, they come off very, very, I mean, it's hard to tell them the difference between them and, and um, one who's a truly a follower of Christ because they use the same lingo, they use the same words, but the definitions differ greatly. So, um, so looking at briefly, if you're to witness that someone who's a Mormon, um, your Mormon friend may not be aware of all that um, the LDS Church officially, the official doctrine, or the Latter-day Saints, they may not be aware of all the official doctrines, so many of the above-mentioned facts might come as a surprise to them. Um, a Mormon may use the words and phrases that sound biblical and true, Jesus, Son of God, salvation, etc., but they actually mean something entirely different. So when you're witnessing to someone who's a Mormon, in their mind, they see themselves as Christians, and in their mind, they see themselves as perfecting what their Christian faith was meant to be. Um, so it gets very tricky witnessing to one of them because um, they consider themselves to be saved regardless and part of the church. So, um, But there's so many big differences between the Mormon belief and Christianity that I, I mean, I would consider that Mormonism is not part of the Christian faith. They have Jesus as part of, in their um, religious belief, they, they incorporate Christ, but they don't follow Christ according to what he has written in his word. So, yeah. Yeah, it's it's um, really tricky stuff because it's uh, distinct from other religions that we've discussed and that it it begins, it, it finds its roots in Christianity, um, but you know, it, we have a 
countless Christian denominations, correct, and, and Christian um, ways of thinking, but no other denomination that is, uh, is I think, uh, <clears throat> valid in their Christian belief have brought new material, like these, this notion of these new revelations that God has added in, in modern day to um, the, the teaching and preaching of, of Jesus and the early biblical writers, uh, this notion that God is, is bringing new material that is uh, considered to be authoritative on the level of Scripture. Um, certainly God interacts with and he speaks to us today, but this this notion that God is, is presenting essentially a new uh, gospel or a new addition to uh, the Holy Scriptures and new revelations and has this very uh, distinct plan for uh, the American nation and, and uh, through the, the leader Joseph Smith. And, and in doing so, uh, Smith presented material from these revelations that was very much in contrast to what the Bible says. And uh, it creates very real problems. So, you know, I, I think as we interact with folks who share the, you have these beliefs, it's it's easy to want to focus on our similarities, and, and certainly there are some important similarities and overlap, and um, there's a, a lot to be respected and, and appreciated about um, the way they, they go about living into their faith. Uh, absolutely um, have some similarities and, and some common areas that we can respect and, and celebrate, um, but we don't want to um, allow ourselves to be lulled to sleep to, to see uh, to, to not be able to see that there's some very critical differences that uh, do make it uh, impossible to um, to be in true Christian unity together because some of the essentials of the Christian faith and the things as important as uh, the, the path to salvation and the identity of, of Jesus um, these things are uh, we are at odds about and um, you know while we can work together and communicate and respect one another it does uh, make it important that we don't see ourselves as, as um, truly members of the same faith system and uh, that will also uh, probably apply that concept will also apply to our next um, belief system that we're going to dive into here with the time that's left and, and that is the uh, Jehovah's Witness belief system and so let me give you some background on them uh, first of all, there are, uh, as uh, most recently represented, 8.7 million adherents uh, to Jehovah's Witness beliefs. And, and looking back at um, the Mormon faith, we were at 16.5 million. So this is uh, just a little over half of the number of Mormons. Uh, there are Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, this was uh, founded in 1879 in Pennsylvania. And it evolved initially out of the teachings of the Advent Christian Church. So this is a Christian church that uh, just kind of uh, became a little bit more extremist in their views and, and a little hyper-focused on certain things uh, that eventually led to uh, the development of this entirely different belief system with some shared roots but some very critical differences. Uh, but the Advent Christian Church at the time was was very much focused on the second coming of Jesus and, and trying to predict and understand the second coming and were uh, convinced that it was imminent. And uh, they'd spent a lot of time studying Old Testament prophets uh, that uh, discussed the second coming, such as uh, Daniel in particular and the book of Revelation. 
And uh, initially, uh, the the belief held by uh, this church was that the essentially the end of the world was uh, going to begin uh, occurring in 1844. So. Um, this is uh, this date has come and gone, and the world world is still here. But you'll you'll see a pattern. It's the year you were born, wasn't it? The year you were born, yeah. Were born. Oh, you were, yeah. Oh, me? No, <laughs> no. But I know a guy. Uh, yeah, yeah. He's really fascinating. Uh, <laughs> but uh, a gentleman by the name of Charles Taze Russell uh, is officially the founder of the Jehovah's Witness uh, Church, and uh, he was not born until 1852. So this date had already come and passed by the time he was born. But over the course of his life, in his interactions with the Adventist uh, Church the Advent Christian Church, uh, Russell was convinced that um, Jesus did return in the year 1874, so when uh, Russell was in his 20s, and that even though we didn't see it, it wasn't a major world event, it, it still occurred, but that uh, Jesus came back in in, in invisible form. Um, we just couldn't see it. We couldn't witness it. And uh, Russell took this belief and, and incorporated some of his own beliefs and interpretations of what the Advent Church was teaching, and he established the Jehovah's Witnesses in 1879, uh, and that's the year they officially point to as the establishment of their church. There were 30 congregations that were founded around this uh, belief system in that year and uh, began meeting. Two years later, uh, you may be familiar with the the uh, term the, the Zion's Watchtower Tract Society, um, and uh, this was an organization that uh, Russell uh, started, established in 1881 to uh, do the, the work of disseminating his views in tract form. So over the next uh, 30 years, um, Russell and, and his uh, followers, uh, eventually after he was passed, uh, would would spread the views of the Jehovah's Witness uh, wide and, and far and uh, very extensively around the world and uh, would eventually train missionaries and launch them out into uh, the world to spread uh, the views that the Jehovah's Witnesses had adhered to. And by 1912, I, I read this, uh, th this was astounding. Uh, so this is about 30 years later again. Uh, Russell was the most distributed Christian, uh, in quotes, I'll put it, author in the United States. So uh, more people were being exposed to the Je Jehovah's Witness belief system via uh, Russell, their leader, than any other Christian author out there. And uh, there were believed to be 50,000 Jehovah's Witnesses uh, in the world at that time. Uh, Russell passed, and, and uh, the next gentleman that became the leader was Joseph Franklin Rutherford. Uh, he continued to organize the efforts of the Jehovah's Witnesses to, to uh, spread their views, um, but also created some conflict uh, when, about the time of World War I, he made some disparaging comments about the Catholic and the Protestant Church and uh, their response to the war and, and their participation in the war. And um, his comments led to a lot of tension between the, the Jehovah's Witnesses and larger society. Um, many of the leaders of the church were imprisoned for sedition uh, under the Espionage Act. So this was it got pretty intense. Uh, many followers uh, of uh, and members of the church became victims of mob violence. So there was a lot of upheaval at the time uh, because of the extreme views of the church. Um, but uh, they can continued on, and a few other noteworthy uh, points and events. 
I thought this was interesting. In 1922, there was an international convention of Jehovah's Witnesses held in Cedar Point, Ohio. And it was uh, there in Cedar Point at the amusement park that uh, they dedicated themselves to house-to-house preaching. Uh, so that all developed in 1922, and, and that became their point of emphasis for, uh, for from then on forward. Another convention in 1931 held in Columbus led to their adoption of the name Jehovah's Witness. Uh, and uh, so two important points of uh, their history occurred right here in Ohio. Um, I mentioned earlier, one of the things that Je- Jehovah's Witnesses are, are known for, and especially uh, leaders early on in the faith, was this notion of trying to predict, uh, trying to predict happenings and spiritual happenings uh, in the world. And their belief system is that the end times uh, includes a thousand year period in which Christ comes back at the beginning of that thousand years and reigns uh, for that thousand years prior to final judgment. So we have a thousand year period and and, uh, this is not a a drastically different um, understanding of, of the end times, I don't think, than some Christians adhere to. Um, but the interesting part is that predictions were made by Jehovah's Witness leaders that this thousand-year period was beginning multiple times uh, over the course of the last few centuries. 1878, 1881, 1914, 1918, 1925, 1975. All of these had been predicted as the date uh, that, that Jesus would return and begin the thousand years of his reign. Uh, The 1925 prediction included the notion that Abraham and Isaac, patriarchs of the faith, would also be resurrected and and returned to earth. Um, And, of course, none of these came to pass. Uh, Following most of these failed predictions, leaders explained that the events had actually occurred, but um, once again, Jesus had returned in invisible form, uh, so we we just weren't uh, able to witness it. And eventually, even many Jehovah's Witnesses began to become discouraged and frustrated and and doubt uh, their their leadership and began to wander off. Um, But they continue, of course, to this day. Uh, Much of their beliefs are are rooted in this uh, notion that the destruction of the worldly system is is imminent and uh, it's going to occur in Armageddon. And that proclaiming the kingdom of God throughout the world is the only way to save humanity, uh, that they are the one pure Christian church that remains, and they, they are trying to get back to first century Christianity, of course, with uh, a unique uh, twist and, and additional concepts added in. Um, but uh, this is how they exist to this day. Uh, leadership uh, is officially a group of elders out of Brooklyn, New York, and um, and you know them probably mostly for their um, emphasis on door-to-door evangelism, uh, their their distrib- distribution of literature, uh, the, the tracks uh, known as Watchtower and, and Awake, these tracked magazines. And uh, I even read during the pandemic that they took up the habit of uh, using phone calls and um, letter writing instead of door-to-door um, mission work, which I thought was an interesting, more current twist on um on their beliefs and their practices. But, uh, Stephen, let, let's let you dive into further into their beliefs exactly in, in relation to our Christian faith. Yeah, exactly. So um, we're going to look at first look at some of their sacred writings, all current Watchtower publications, including the Bible, and their Bible is the New World Translation only. That's the only Bible they use. And, and going back also to Mormonism, they 
they use the Bible, but they only use the King James Version, and they only use Smith's inspired version. So when the Mormons say they use the Bible, they only use the King James Bible, and they only use Smith's inspired version. So, um, And then Jehovah Witness use the Bible, but they only use the Bible that they've translated, the New World Translation. Um, they also use reasoning from the scriptures, what does the Bible really teach, and the Watchtower and Awake magazines. Their view of God, um, one God called Jehovah, no Trinity. Jesus is the first thing that Jehovah created. And their view of Jesus is that Jesus is not God. Um, before he lived on earth, he was the Michael, the archangel, and Jehovah made, Jehovah made the universe through him. On earth, he was a man who lived a perfect life after dying on a stake and not a cross. So they don't believe Jesus died on a cross. They believe he died on a stake. His resurrection... Um, his, he was uh, resurrected as a spirit and his body was destroyed. Jesus is not coming again. He returned, as Paul said, he returned invisibly in 1914 in spirit. So very soon he and all his angels will crush all the non-Jehovah witness. Um, the view of the Holy Spirit is impersonal. Holy Spirit is not God, but rather an invisible um, force that's active with Jehovah. And their view of salvation, you um, be baptized as Jehovah Witness. Um, most followers must do um, so. They their view of the Holy Spirit is visible force, and their salvation is um, baptism into Jehovah Witness. Most followers must earn um, everlasting life on earth by door-to-door -door work, as Paul just mentioned. Salvation um, in heaven is limited to 144,000 quote-unquote anointed ones. Um, and actually, this number is already reached, but there's still a heaven for people. But the 144,000, which is a number that they get from Revelations, um, has already been met. Um, the 144,000 live as, as, as spirits in heaven. The rest of the righteous, the quote-unquote great crowd, live on earth and must obey God perfectly for a thousand years or be annihilated. Some other beliefs... Um, also known as the International Bible Students Association. Um, that's sometimes what it's called. They also meet in kingdom halls instead of churches. Active members are encouraged to distribute literature door to door. Once a year, the uh, Lord's evening meal, um, communion. Only quote-unquote anointed ones may partake in the communion. Um, they do not observe holidays or birthdays. They're forbidden to vote salute the flag, work in the military, or accept blood transfusions. Um, so that's some of their um, beliefs. And again, as I said earlier, um, they, they would consider themselves just like um, the Mormons. They would consider themselves as Christians um, and use some of the same Christian terminology. But in actuality, their definitions of these terms are very different. So when it comes to witnessing, you have to remember that you necess um, you have to remember that they are using terms that sound very similar to our own. So you have to really get an understanding of what do they mean um, when they, even when they say Jesus, what do they mean by that? So you have to remember that you are not necessarily trying to convert Jehovah Witness friends to a different belief system or even defending your own. Rather, you are trying to help them understand that salvation comes through a relationship with Jesus, not through religion. Ask them questions that will help them think more critically about their knowledge of Christianity and the integrity of the church leadership. Um, 
So really, when it comes to witnessing, again, you have to clarify the terms, and then you, again, I, they're going <clears> to, <throat> if you bring out scripture, they're going to kind of see what <laughs> scripture translation you're using, but they only use the one translation that they follow. Um, but of course, with anything, when it comes to witnessing, it's, it's your relationship with that person and how you live around them, and also um, how you live around them really matters when it comes to witnessing and reaching people. Um, also, there's some similarities between Jehovah Witness and Mormons in, in that they both believe that they um, are the ones who are, what's the term, that, that they are um, correcting what has been corrupted, essentially, that Christianity was corrupted, it was headed in the wrong direction, and then Je Jehovah's, or, uh, for Mormons, Joseph Smith shows up and, and straightened things out, and then for Jehovah Witness, um, Charles Taze Russell comes about, and he's there to help strengthen or uh, help straighten, quote unquote, straighten the church, and lead them on the path, um, the right path again. And to be honest, also when you look at Islam, uh, Muhammad also part of his reasoning for starting Islam was because um, he believed that the Bible was corrupted and the Jews and Christians had corrupted the faith, and he needed to strengthen out or straighten the faith and put it on the right trajectory again. So you see these three religions have this similarity of the sense that there was corruption or they believe so believe there was some corruption and that it was up to them and that they had a special message from God that now it was their responsibility to strengthen or to straighten the church out and the straight straighten the faith out to lead them um, and how they saw fit in this new really in the new um, religion that does not correlate with the scripture passages um, that we read today in our Bible. So, yeah, this is important to keep that in mind when you're talking to Jehovah Witness or Mormons. They see themselves as Christians and they use some similar terminology. But as I've gone over their beliefs, you can see that there are many, many um, beliefs that are very different from our own. And of course, as Paul and I have said, that this is a very, very, very surface level um, message. And we hope, and I would encourage you to do some. Um, finding out of the Jehovah Witness and Mormons on your own, gathering information and understanding, because I think the more you understand, the more um, sympathy, empathy, and kindness you can have towards people and, and see them as being created in the image of God, but also holding to the truth of Scripture, the truth of Jesus Christ. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of where it stands now. Yeah, I remember in elementary school, uh, there were two young men who I went to school with who were Jehovah's Witnesses and uh, it, it was very, you know, one of the things I respect about um, these two belief systems is is that they are not uh, at least um, you know, on the surface level, they're not afraid about uh, standing up for their right. beliefs and, right. and uh, sharing their convictions. Yep. Um, this whole notion right. of door-to-door, -door, right. uh, you know, you're not going to get too many yeah. folks um, from the church communities I've been a part of to sign up for that. You know, they're very bold, very uh, convicted. Very sincere. Yeah, very sincere. And uh, these two young men who I grew up with in, in elementary school, you know, when it was time to say the Pledge of Allegiance, uh, they, they remained in their seats. Um, when we were celebrating birthdays, they, they got skipped over. 
uh, Easter and, and Christmas parties at, at school, related parties, theme parties. Uh, they were absent on those days. So it was, uh, you know, even early on in my life, just a, a striking uh, realization that, that there are folks who um, have these uh, very, very different uh, belief systems that uh, represent uh, strong convictions and, and something that I think as, as Christians we can relate to this notion of uh, the importance of standing up for our convictions and being willing to stand out in society um, even if we're doing it for different reasons and uh, with, with different in different contexts. Um, but it was a, a neat experience uh, for me or interesting experience for me early on. But I think the the piece that uh, that stands out to me is is how each of these and, and Stephen brought up Islam as well, but these two in Islam, um, different approaches to uh, witnessing and sharing sharing their faith. The Jehovah's Witnesses, in particular, are very adamant about remaining separate from the world. Uh, there's this notion that uh, they know what a a, a, a pure believer uh, is supposed to look like and a pure follower of Jesus Christ and in many ways I think they're on the money whether they, they draw their beliefs from scripture uh, some of them in which we overlap or or other sources I, I think they're uh, it's, it's easy to respect their notion of purity and righteousness and the importance of living uh, distinct lifestyles and not being afraid of standing out um, but they they also whereas uh, as Christians you know I think we adhere to this notion of being in the world but not of the world recognizing our identity is is elsewhere um, but at the same time we're called to go into the world and impact the world for Christ Jehovah's Witnesses clearly believe that on some level because of the uh, the, the missionaries that are sent out how important it is to spread the message but as far as intertwining their lives with other people they're very very cautious about doing that and exposing themselves to uh, people who don't live that uh, notion of purity out as they do so uh, some interesting uh, similarities and, and very important differences and this has been a, a fun exploration and uh, at least one more week yet to go uh, as we break down just uh, some some common principles and, and a little bit of new material next week as well. So, yeah, so thank you everyone for um, listening. Um, again, I'm looking forward to next week. It should be really good. And then um, we're going to be brainstorming some new series here soon. And again, thank you all for the word, your encouraging word to us um, in this podcast, the encouraging word. So we thank you all. And we also hope to see everyone um, face-to-face when you feel um, that you're ready to meet face-to-face. We have the 8.30 parking lot service, 10 o'clock in person, and 11.30 in person and streaming service. Um, so again, thank you all for listening, and uh, hopefully all of you have a great week, and um, we'll talk to you again next week. You stayed awake for the whole thing. Yeah, I did, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> we won't mention that.